1, Section 9, thereby establishing the nation as one large free trade zone. It permitted direct taxes, such as the income tax, only if apportioned among the states based on population, Article 1, Sections 2 and 9, which made them difficult to levy. Finally, the Constitution specifically enumerated, and thus limited, the powers of Congress, Article 1, Section 8, constraining the government from intervening in the marketplace. Not everyone agreed on how much the Constitution should limit the federal government. Alexander Hamilton, co-author of the Federalist Papers, strongly supported the Constitution, but he also thought government should have more power over the economy. As the first Treasury Secretary under George Washington, Hamilton submitted several reports to Congress, pushing for higher taxes, a public debt, a national bank, business subsidies, and protective tariffs. Because the Constitution doesn't authorize some of these measures, Hamilton interpreted it loosely, arguing that the federal government has, quote, implied powers, unquote. Jefferson rejected this approach. He maintained that the federal government has only those powers enumerated in the Constitution, a view confirmed by the Tenth Amendment, which says, quote, powers not delegated to the federal government by the Constitution are reserved to the states, respectively, or to the people, unquote. Hamilton partly succeeded. At his behest, the federal government imposed excise taxes, later abolished by Jefferson, and assumed the debt of the states. It also created a national bank, the First Bank of the United States, Bus, 1791, which Jefferson and James Madison argued was unconstitutional. The Bus's charter expired in 1811. Though Madison vetoed an earlier bill to charter another bank, he signed a bill in 1816 chartering the second bus. In McCulloch v. Maryland, 1819, Chief Justice John Marshall argued that the bus was justified under the, quote, necessary and proper, unquote, clause of the Constitution. A national bank was not necessary, as some scholars point out, but Marshall falsely equated necessary with, quote, convenient or useful, unquote. Following Hamilton, Marshall also argued that the federal government has implied powers beyond those granted in the Constitution. The federal government rejected most plans to subsidize private business. Presidents Madison and James Monroe, for example, vetoed bills that authorized federal spending for, quote, internal improvements, unquote, such as roads and canals. Although private entrepreneurs financed and built many roads and canals, state governments in the 1820s intervened instead, amending their constitutions to subsidize canal building. Most state-funded canals weren't finished, generated little or no income, or went bankrupt. As a result, by 1860, most states amended their constitutions again to prohibit such subsidies. President John Quincy Adams, Congressman Henry Clay, and the Whig Party kept the Hamiltonian flame lit. Although most of their efforts to fund internal improvements were defeated, they successfully imposed high protective tariffs. Adams signed a bill in 1828 that raised the average tariff rate to about 50%. This was denounced as the, quote, tariff of abominations, unquote. Presidents Andrew Jackson, Martin Van Buren, John Tyler, and James K. Polk, in contrast to the Hamiltonians, upheld the same limited government free market philosophy that Jefferson did. Jackson paid off the national debt in 1835, the only time this has been done. He and Tyler vetoed many unconstitutional bills submitted by Congress. Jackson and Polk also cut tariffs, reaching a low of about 15% by the 1850s. Jackson ardently opposed the second bus, 
because it was an unconstitutional, government-chartered monopoly. In 1832, he vetoed a bill to renew the bank's charter, letting it expire in 1836. The end of the second bus, combined with Van Buren's independent treasury system, led to the free banking era, which lasted until the 1860s. By all measures of bank health, this free banking era was the soundest in American history. In terms of liquidity, profitability, asset quality, capital adequacy, and prudent management, free banking proved superior to national banking. Although protectionism, national banking, and subsidies for internal improvements, the core of the Hamiltonian economic program, were partly intended to help develop business and industry, they proved impractical. These interventions were the main exceptions to the free market in the 19th century. Before the 1860s, however, many presidents fought to scale back these interventions. Tariffs were cut. The National Bank expired.